0: in
1: America. And we are, boy, in the middle of a series that seems like it keeps throwing us curveballs and opening cans of worms. We are in a series uh, looking at violence in the Bible. And so far, we've looked at a couple of different ways violence shows up in this series, from directions or directives that God uh, is said to give people about how to manage violence when it's done, like as a punishment, times when God seems to be directing people to be agents of violence. Or conquest purposes, and then the times when God is author, is the author of violence, is said to be the one who does things uh, to punish or to, to achieve God's purposes. Um, as well as last time, we took a, a, a challenging set of texts where violence happens in particular. It happened to women, and the Bible wasn't condoning or saying this is okay, but we looked at like how prevalent and easy it was in that culture for that to happen, um, and what do we do with uh, a culture that looks at that hopefully very differently. Um, So where where are we going to head today, Erica?
0: So today we're going to the longest book of scripture, to the Psalms. And now most of us don't think of violence when we think of the Psalms. We think of, you know, David and, you know, the Lord is my shepherd and all these happy fun things, you Mm -hmm. know, the most violent Psalm some of us might know is Psalm 22, which is a prediction of Jesus' death Mm -hmm. down the road. But in the Psalms, we don't really necessarily see the same type of violence as what we've already talked about. This is more so just people crying out in real anger and frustration at their enemies. Mm-hmm. And I think trying to work out what to do because yeah. this anger and this frustration is just getting to them so much that they, they're wishing things upon their enemies right. that they may not actually be wishing, but they're saying them just because God can take anything. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm glad to of the
1: can of the that we're dealing with a set of texts and there's a number of them throughout the Psalms where the, the voice of the person praying is calling on God, do X or Y or Z to my enemies. So sometimes it is real specific, sometimes it's just, smash my enemies, and sometimes it gets much more graphic, but we're dealing with a different kind of, of situation than we've dealt with before. We've looked at stories before. We could say, well, this story is a of what happened, but nobody's advocating that this is what we should do or God should do necessarily. We've had an out in other kinds of stories sometimes. Mm-hmm. But here, we're dealing with texts that are framed as prayers rather than stories or historical episodes. And the whole point of a collection of hymns and songs and prayers is that other people keep singing them. So there's this challenge. What do we do with a set of texts in our psalms, in our scripture, in the Bible's prayer book, like von Hoffer called it, um, that invoke God to smash or kill or destroy enemies. And what, I guess, what does that mean for, for our faith to, to say our Bible includes that? And I guess, what does it say about God that God doesn't always answer those prayers when <laughs> we want them to be answered? Should we start with some of the actual text so that people have a sense of what we're talking about, maybe? Why not? Okay. Maybe we should start... Let's just go, like, pull out... Let's start with what is probably, like, the classic, like, worst-case, imprecatory (laughs) psalm. uh, uh, Uh Psalm 137, which is a a text that comes out of the experience of exile. So, obviously, it's it's Judah, when they've been at their lowest and worst part, they've been carried away into foreign exile, the empire won. This is like... You know, being at the end of the Empire Strikes Back Star Wars movie and feeling like, "Oh my goodness, Darth Vader and the Emperor have won. Woe is us. All is lost. We're captive." And in the midst of that, what gets
0: said? So we're going to pick up um, just in the, in the last verse because basically, like you said, Steve, they're they're crying out. They're in exile. They're like, "God, why are we here? What what's going on? All this stuff." And and um, in, in verse eight, the last verse of. of the it says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. So, and again, like even
1: that, the way it's put it into English verse feels a little bit like, wait, what just got said here? Yeah, that psalm, in the form of a prayer to God, mm-hmm. says, let the person who kills the Babylonian babies be happy. Ble- bless them, God. Whoever whoever smashes the babies on rocks, let them be blessed by God. Something like that.
0: Yeah, because yeah. you know Babylon has done such terrible things to us that their babies deserve to have their heads smashed against rocks. Right, 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 right. right.
1: And so, okay, this is a thing that's in our Bible. We need to deal with it and own yes. it, right? Um, we could say there are lots of other variations on this kind of prayer in the Psalms. There are times when, in the course of a longer Psalm that moves from lament to eventual sort of joy, there's sometimes those middle sort of angsty adolescent verses that are, you know, to my enemies mm-hmm. or some, and sometimes it's framed more like don't let them prevail against mm-hmm. me, they're trying to chase me down, help me, and that somehow feels different I think, than the outright description of kill them or kill their children or something like that um, so um, wh- 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 I don't know, where, where, where do we going start with this? What, what, what do you make of it?
2: So I think to me, the killing of babies speaks to the absolute destruction of the people. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, that, if you kill everyone, even down to the baby, there is absolutely no chance of retaliation. Mm-hmm. Like, there isn't going to be that cycle of, oh, you killed my father, so now I'm going to kill you, and then the son going, oh, well, right. you killed my father, so now I'm going to kill you, and so on and so forth. Cause if you kill absolutely everybody including the little tiny babies, they cannot rise, like that people cannot rise again. Right. And so like there's a part of me that like tries to put myself in the shoes of the Israelites who are in exile and wanting this cycle to be done and have you come out as the victors. Mm -hmm. But at the same time there's the part of me that is a mother to, um, to two very small children that goes, oh, that's horrifying, like, these babies have done absolutely nothing to deserve, you know, having their heads bashed against the rocks. Mm-hmm. And that raises to
1: me an important uh, tension in the scriptures themselves that I'm not sure we always, uh, like, consider or pay attention to, but that the Bible itself has sort of different nuances of voice about corporate and individual responsibility, there are some passages, like, man, I think about the book of Ezekiel, who hammers home like individual responsibility. You die for your own sins, nobody gets punished for their, uh, their parents' sins, nobody's children get punished for your sins, and he has a whole monologue about when the people start complaining that the parents ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Other passages seem to assume a sort of corporate ownership or responsibility. So, like we talked about when we talked about Pharaoh's Egypt uh, back earlier in this series, there's a sense in which Pharaoh is the primary villain, but everybody's a part of that system that is okay with slavery happening. And at some point you have to dismantle the whole system for there to be change. And, yeah, that means that the plagues are going to affect the rest of the, the Egyptian people as well. But... I think you raise a good point that part of it in Israel's mind there would have been this sense of our, our collective enemy needs to be completely gone or else we're still going to live in fear and similarly all the Babylonian Empire is built on this machinery of capturing people who are weaker than us and we you know, plunder their stuff that whole system needs to be brought to them that, that's an interesting thought
0: could this be because you mentioned Egypt and I know Egypt and Babylon are two different parts of Israel's history mm-hmm. but could this almost be retaliation for what happened you know, like thinking back to Egypt and what mm-hmm. happened to their babies.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and
0: the river, I, mean, I know it's a different type of death, but it's right. the same concept. You know, okay, the Babylonians maybe didn't try to take out our babies, but the Egyptians did. And so this is yet another enemy. You know, God, why don't you smite them to the point that, that what they tried to do to us? And really... Right. That, that, that seems certainly possible, or, and, and and maybe it's at least that there's a, a thread of connective
1: tissue that in both there's a sense of the whole the whole enemy nation is seen as your enemy, mm-hmm. not just if there's regime change and if we had a different pharaoh thing like that whole system was rotten. Yeah. Same thing with the whole system of Babylon is rotten. Um, and I, I guess
0: that could be completely heretical too. I'm, I'm just well, it,
1: it, it I, I, I think it's worth throwing all these things out because I'm not I'm not sure. I and mean, maybe maybe what we're doing is trying to make theological sense of what's primarily an emotional reaction, and I think this is one of the things that makes it challenging, but really important to have the Psalms in our scriptures, is there are lots of parts of the Bible that um, can feel very emotionless. You know, reading Levitical laws, that can feel very tedious and dry, and other stories, you feel like, well, you have to get in what's going on in the historical context, but the Psalms are so, so emotional, and it's Individual people going through stuff in their life. Sometimes it's, I'm so happy, sometimes it's, I'm so peaceful, sometimes it's, so mad, I'm so mad. And when you're mad, the question, what do I do with that anger? Um, I, I guess this is something that isn't going to be reducible necessarily to, what's my theological justification for why I'm so mad, but I'm so mad, what do I do? I pray about it. And I think that is maybe an important piece to hold on to. That, without saying we should all endorse the privilege of violence in the Bible, it does seem important to me to say the Bible does seem to think whatever you got going on in your heart, you can't fool God, God, already knows it anyway. It's better to be honest about it and say, I've got to deal with this, rather than pretending that uh, I only think happy kind thoughts all the time. And if I'm feeling something that is really, really angry, maybe the best thing, the best first place to start is me owning it and bringing that in prayer, rather than I'm going to secretly think this when I'm not praying, and then when I'm praying, I'm to only think and say holy thoughts. I mean, that, yeah. that sort of invites hypocrisy that gives us permission to do terrible things and, and think, well, I'm allowed to do it when I'm not praying, or something like that.
2: And, and I think, jumping off of that, mm-hmm. I think that there is something really lovely about the idea of being able to messily say <laughs> whatever you need to yes. say to God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because... Uh, So, I'm married, and with my husband, there are times when we need to communicate stuff to each other, and we can't think of the good way to say it. We can't think of the perfect words. We know what we're saying is probably not politically correct because we can't think of what the language should Mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. So, we communicate that, like, hey, I don't know what the correct way to say this is, but blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. often then we can, like, bounce off of each other and figure out what the correct language is. But, like, my husband is that safe person who I can say whatever I need to say out loud. And even more so than my husband, I feel like God should be that for people. That we should be able to say, you know what, God, I'm angry. This thing is happening in my life, and not only my life, but my nation's life. And this is what I think, even if, that other half of me goes, no, I don't actually want to bash babies' heads into drums. Yeah, but I'm very
1: angry. Yeah, and I think that is such a really helpful insight. Um, that whether it's a spouse or a close friend or whomever, and again, like you say, ideally God is meant to be this kind of role that that can be that can can absorb whatever stuff we got. Having those kind of relationships where this is not what I want to say publicly to the world is my official policy, but I've got to vent this to somebody. And knowing, like, I've had conversations with people, and I've certainly had lots of conversations with couples um, doing, like, marriage or pre-marriage counseling, where we talk about the difference between a conversation where someone's looking for a solution to their problem, and a conversation where somebody just needs to vent. And sometimes, if you're honest, like, this is the time I just need to vent stuff. None of these things need to be public, but I need to say this to somebody else and vent it. That's important. Um, And the ability to do that to God... I think is supremely important, because one, God is the one who's infinitely able to take our garbage. Um, and, this is, I think this is the other really, really, really important theological thing for us, is that God is not a genie, in the Bible and that means that when I pray something that's terrible God doesn't have to go well you prayed for it and you asked in the name of Jesus I have to do it that's not how it works and that God is always free to pat me on the head and say that was a terrible prayer I'm not going to do any of that because I love you and that was a stupid prayer and because I love the people that you are wishing harm against Um, like the, the, the times when my kids in, insist, they come to me tattling on each other, and they want to invoke punishment on one another. And like, you know, would, Dad, would you make my brother, you know, take away his toy, or take away his video game, or take away this because he did this, or take away my sisters, whatever. There are times where that's appropriate, and there are times where you need to vent this, fine. Now we're done with that, I'm not going to do the thing you asked just because you asked me. Mm-hmm. And to recognize God has that freedom, I think is really important, too. This reminds me of, um, forgive me for busting out Mr. Rogers here, but um, there seems this really, really important bit of Rogerian theology um, uh, that Mr. Rogers says um, anything that is human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable is manageable. Um, And I don't think that's psychobabble. I mean, I, I think there's something really important about the idea that Things that are part of our human experience, we have to be able to talk about. Otherwise, they fester. And when they fester, people explode and do terrible things like shoot people at Walmart. Um, and instead, if we can vent and talk about things. Like, that's a huge, important thing. And again, what we do with the words and the anger after we vent them is an important follow-up. So I wouldn't just say, pray the anger words and that's the end of death, all the Bible has to say. But at least we have to be able to say the stuff that we're feeling. Um, and then with the guidance of other people around us, especially people who trust in the faith, okay, now what am I going to do about this? That, that's important, I
0: think. And I think in, in a lot of these psalms, and especially this one, we, we don't have evidence of God actually following through. Right. And I mean, you said that, Steve, you said, but God's not a genie, so he doesn't have to do whatever we ask him to do. He can say, no, that was a stupid prayer, but that's okay, you got your feelings out. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and and f- so for me, when I see violence in the old, in, in the psalms, in particular, there's a few of them that are history, yep. you know, historical accounts of what has happened, but mm-hmm. not very many. Uh, but when I see violence in Psalms like this and, and others that we're going to talk about here, you know, it's just a reminder to me that that, like, like you said, you know, that's just getting our emotions out and saying, God, I'm really po'd right now. I yeah. don't like this person or this group of people or whomever, Yeah. And I just need to tell somebody about it. Yeah. But rarely do we actually ever see God answering these kinds of prayers. Right. And I think that's really
1: important that um, the psalms themselves, even though many of them have superscriptions that sometimes will give an occasion about when this was or it was suspected to have been written. Um, I mean, to be really, really honest about it, those aren't in the oldest manuscripts we have, and so that's sort of later guessing probably about when things are written. But that they aren't even handed to us as after, and there's, there's no part of the end of Psalm 37 hundred thirty-seven, where there's a code and "And because of this prayer God killed all the babies because of mm-hmm. the person no we don't get any of that so we're, all we're left with are these words of lament and being able to voice it and sometimes that's what we need is to be able to voice those things
0: and even the violence we've already talked about in the Old Testament again I, I don't recall any of that coming out of prayers from God's people saying right? you know either God has you know It's happened for a bunch of different reasons, but Mm -hmm. I don't ever recall. And correct me if I'm wrong, like Moses or Joseph or one of the leaders saying, "You know, God, let's you know, let's go kill all our enemies." Mm -hmm. And then God Mm -hmm. answered that. That's not how this works, right? You know, there there are other reasons, which aren't necessarily ever very comfortable reasons, (laughs) right? But you know, violence throughout Scripture does not come necessarily because of the prayers of God's people. And and I think think it's important, important, yeah, that like
1: that it's, it's even when we have those worst impulses, those aren't ever what seems to motivate God. There are yeah. times where God is described to be the agent of divine violence, but it seems to either be sort of the, the text tries to make the case, this is God serving justice and punishing the evildoers, or this is God keeping the promise to Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob or whatever, but it's not God finally got goaded into picking on people because enough people were angry about it. And yeah. that seems important, that like God can't be peer pressured into... Becoming part of the lynch mob. That, that seems really important. Um, I, I guess, in addition to the question of what, what we do with our anger, um, I don't know, the, 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 another piece in the imprecatory in Psalms that seems worth lifting up is that there are times when the prayer seems to be, I guess, a little bit closer to justice, where the prayer is sort of uh, see, these people are doing terrible things, God. Please let their terrible plans collapse. You know, like, like <laughs> let, them, like, let them get the just desserts of what's coming. And there, it, it feels less, maybe less vengeful. We're more like, when you've been picked on for so, so long, you're like, isn't there ever going to be justice, God? Uh-huh. And here people are scheming and tricking. Like, please let them get their confidence. Like there's, sometimes there's just this aching for, could you please not let the villains get away one more time? Um, and that seems to me that those psalms come from a place of having experienced Living through times when it feels like the bad guys keep getting away with it. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, when it feels like crookedness wins or evil wins the day, um, there's going to be something inside of it. Just like, please don't let this keep going on forever. Please let there be an end.
0: Seems like there's a sense of the people wanting karma. Yeah, yeah, know (laughs) know, They've been doing all these bad things, God, can they finally trip up over their bad things? Right, right, right. And and sometimes it happens. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. again, God is not a God of karma. It doesn't mean, you know, if you keep doing bad things, eventually something bad's going to happen to you. Like, right. We might hope that. <laughs> but God has bigger plans. And I think that's one of the things
1: we have to hold in tension in all of the Christian faith and in Judaism as well, is the tension between God's freedom to be gracious and God's commitment to being just at the same time. So there's some part of us that feels like bad guys shouldn't get away with being bad guys forever, or villainy shouldn't go unaddressed. Um, And at the same time, that my only hope, as someone who is a consistent mess-up, is that there's mercy for sinners. Um, It seems to me, though, that usually the Psalms, the imprecatory Psalms, aren't over petty stuff. It's not like, um, I think my neighbor stole my newspaper, God's Apple with Lightning, but more like... We were slaves in Egypt, God. Please, cannot not continue? Or, mm-hmm. the Babylonians came and knocked down our city and carried the best and the brightest away, and they smashed all that was sacred to us, and they took our king and they put his eyes out while, they, while he watched them murder his son. Can't that please be addressed, God? That's where those, those mm-hmm. feelings of deep, deep anger come from.
2: There was a line recently in one of the corporate prayers uh, in, in at least, you know, like Sundays, like... The Lutherans use the resource studies and Seasons, and they will like every week publish prayers of the people. And there was a line recently in one of the prayers that was something along the lines of, "We hope for both justice and mercy." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know that's that's one of those like things that we hold in tension of because it doesn't often feel like you can have yeah. both because mm-hmm. you either get justice yeah. or you get mercy. But yet, I think having that be part of our prayer of hoping for just for both justice and mercy is something that we could pray for and even hope for and maybe even expect yeah. from God. Because with God, all things is possible, even finding that balance between justice
1: and mercy. And to me, I think that that idea of holding those together in tension and seeing they're not opposites or not mutually exclusive, but somehow can be resolved together... Feels to me that the, the, the nerd in me feels like it's like um, in, in uh, 20th century physics when they discovered that light is both a particle and acts like a wave sometimes, and that there is scientific evidence for both, and that the, the resolution in science wasn't well, let's compromise and say it's half one half, but both are true at the same time, and science isn't quite sure how to reconcile how both how both are true, and yet all the data we have says both are true at the same time, or the way scientists today say. There are quantum physics folks, and there's um, Einsteinian folks, uh, and they have very different different pictures of how reality works. And yet, both models work in certain ways that they feel like some scientist is going to come along and figure out a way both of these can be reconciled. We can't see it yet, and yet the the interestingly, new scientist says, "Well, just let's just throw up our hands and give up even trying." But no, we keep working very all that much harder on both sides to see if you can find a way to reconcile. So to me, it feels like. If I'm going to apply that analogy, the goal for us isn't to say, well, sometimes God's gracious, sometimes God's just, who can ever figure out what God is, let's give up even trying to live your life. But instead, that we're called to like work harder on both, things that, that bring about justice, things that bring about mercy. Um, and the guard always with justice is how to not let slide into vengeance, or bloodthirst, or revenge, and how not to let mercy become sort of um, allowing abuse to continue or, you know, people to continue to be harmed in the name of sort of cheap forgiveness or something like that. And, and maybe that's a thing that the imprecatory psalms remind us is if we're in a comfortable spot, it's easy to think, well, things aren't that bad in anybody's life. Why would anybody ever pray this? Well, maybe, maybe I haven't suffered very much in life if, I, if my only reaction to the imprecatory psalms is how rude this person said these mean words, um, maybe I haven't suffered enough to be able to get, like, some people, this is where they're at, and this is their everyday experience, and if that's where you're at, man, it, it has to come out somehow. In, in some ways, it feels like the way they talk about the way um, the blues emerge in the African-American experience, like, you know, after enough centuries of oppression, like, it's gonna come up mm-hmm. in, like, the way it, it, it's voiced in music. And, like, if, if I can't relate to somebody else's blues song, that doesn't mean they're wrong. It, maybe they haven't lived in their kind of experience. Um and again, the, the beauty of something like singing the blues or a, a poem or a prayer like this is at the end of it, the thing I wish for said in the song doesn't have to come true. it's this is part of how I'm processing what I'm dealing with.
0: One of my fears with folks that can't like understand these psalms completely, I mean, I get it some some folks just haven't suffered that much, but mm-hmm. then I also sometimes get concerned like, how honest are you being with yourself and with God mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. your own suffering? Mm-hmm. Like, because mm-hmm. there's too many of us um, as Christians who think that everything has to be sunshine, rainbows, and, and unicorns. Right. And so we can never say anything bad. But yet, clearly, yeah. in our holy book, in our hymn book, you know, we have these songs that say, no, you know, it's okay to get mad. It's mm-hmm. okay to get mad at God. It's okay to get mad at others. Like, what you do with that is a different yeah. story. But, you know, like, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't consider myself to have suffered a lot in my life, but I mean, enough to say, yeah, I can get this. Mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. this. Sometimes mm-hmm. I want to smash in people's heads against me. <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, and, and I think I never do it, but, you know, I see the feeling sometimes comes across. Yeah.
1: And knowing, sort of to with both you and what Sarah had said earlier about having people in odds, that you can say those things in a safe place and know, like, I'm not advocating or teaching others to do this. So, like, there's yeah. a difference between you being able to pray that in the dark night of your soul moons and then you leading a Bible study and teaching everybody, now let's all make our plans and prayer for who we're going to kill this with. No! In a way, similarly, like, the conversations in our house sometimes, uh, my wife will, will listen to some news story on the radio, and some, someone in the news will have made her very, very upset for whatever reason. And she'll just give me this look, if the children are around, and, like, she'll say things like, oh, I hate, you know, the situation, the person, the, you know, the person talking, whatever. And then, sort once it's been said... There's I know, and I can't fix it, and I know, and I'm sorry, and that's what we're dealing mm-hmm. with. And then, but we're not, we, we intentionally don't say, and now children, let's have our two minutes hate, and we're all going to talk about people we hate and want to disparate. No, we, there's a difference between what we hand to our children and say, here's the model, and there are times, though, that we like, we just got to vent stuff. And maybe what we do model is when there's stuff that is really churning around inside, is bringing that to God in prayer is an awful lot better than pretending it isn't there. Yeah. It, it, I, again, I hate I hate to old Mr. Rogers-y, but your point earlier about like what do we do with the angry, you know, there's that song from the, like, the early Mr. Rogers neighborhood show, What Do You Do With The Mad That You Feel? Um, I'm guessing I'm the only person who is a big Mr. Rogers fan. Oh, I love Mr. Rogers, Cause, I don't remember the song. Yeah, it. so like, and, and like, he made, there's a it was, I, I think it's one of like, the early classic Mr. Rogers songs, What Do You Do With The Mad That You Feel? And he gives a list of like, you know, do you pound some clay? Do you,
0: you know, oh, yell yes, out yeah. loud?
1: But like, the whole point is we all got to deal with times that we're mad, and then the question is, what do we do with it? And the, the, sometimes the thing that is needed is the pounding of clay or the, you know, voicing it or whatever... And that then begins the, okay, what am I going to do with it? And how do I channel this into something important? Um, this, this actually reminds me a little bit ago of um, two quotes that have stuck in my head. One was uh, a line I've heard it attributed to uh, St. Augustine, but it almost sounds too modern to really be St. Augustine of Hippo. But I've heard it attributed to him. That it goes something like this. Uh, Hope has two beautiful daughters, courage and anger. Anger to be upset at the way the world is, and the courage to change it. That sounds too serenity ish to me to be actually Dustin the hippo. But that idea that hope, without a certain amount of anger at what is rotten and courage to change things, is just sort of a sentimental wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. And that there has to be materializing into what do we do. The other is a line of um, Maya Angelou. Um, and I don't know in, in, in originally what the, the context uh, of what anger she's talking about, but it seems to be broadly at the rottenness of stuff that happens in the world. But the quote goes like this. If you're not angry, you're either a stone or you're too sick to be angry. You should be angry. You must not be bitter. Bitterness is like cancer, it eats up the host. It doesn't do anything to the object of its displeasure. So yeah, that anger, you write it, you paint it, you dance it, you march it, you vote it, you do everything about it, you talk it, never stop talking about it. But that to me seems a really important insight, yeah. that when when my way of dealing with anger is putting it into words, this amazing human invention of conveying ideas without smashing people, I can even talk about things that seem scary or violent or dangerous. Mm-hmm. and even if that helps me to process it, no one is actually going to smash any babies alone. Um, so, like, the ability to bring whatever you got to God, bring it. That's fine. God can take it. And even if we do that incorporate and say, like, here's how I'm dealing. Let's all voice the stuff we're dealing with. Now it's out there, and now we can name it and we can, we can deal with it. But that, that importantness in, in that Angelo quote seems important that we don't just let it become bitterness, because mm-hmm. that becomes destructive. And that, that, in a way, whatever evil I'm upset about in the world, it allows it to win over me and to slowly eat me alive. But if, if I can find a constructive channel, then the anger becomes a fire that can be used in good ways. Not not to burn somebody else's house down, but that, that fire is the engines of whatever I'm going to do to make things better. So, it sounds to me like our conversation today, is in favor of cutting these verses out of our Bible, so we're not going to play that <laughs> game. Um, but to own it and say, this is part of our scripture, and maybe with good reason that this gives us a place to vent when that's what we've got to do. Yeah. So... More conversation is going to be joining us next time uh, as we take a look at uh, we're going to shift to the New Testament in our conversation next time with a really interesting set of examples. Um, But we do hope you'll join us for more conversation next time here on Crazy Faith Talk.
0: See y'all. Bye.